The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth and recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to welcome all of you who are listening with us today. We're very glad that you're out there, and thank you for emailing us. We'd love to hear from you, and I am so glad to know that what we're doing is making a difference for you and for your recovery and for the depth of your spirituality. We are so glad uh, to hear about that and know that um, what we're doing is touching your heart. We're also grateful that you're letting your friends know about Spirit of Recovery, Friends you've got in recovery, friends you've got in unity, friends in your broader community, thanks for letting them know that we're here. You know that you can listen to archives at www.unity.fm backslash spirit of backslash programs backslash spirit of recovery anytime, so 24 hours a day. These programs are available to you, and we've got a great um, archive list. We've had great guests on this year, so know that. The programs are always available to you. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery on Unity FM online radio. And we know that you know that we get you thinking, that we get you opened up to new ideas about recovery and what is possible. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community, and we always have guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. People who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and a lot of times all of the above. And our guests are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, and so if you're a person who's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're a family member in your own recovery as a family member, or if you're a family member or friend of someone that has the disease of addiction and you're looking for more information, or if you're simply somebody that's curious and interested in the process of recovery and you just want to know what it's all about, know that we welcome you here at Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're listening, and we welcome your input, your questions, your comments through email or on the phone. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister and an Addictions Counselor. And also, I'm a person who has in my circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And 30 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth, recovery, and spiritual development. And ever since then, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles. And that walk keeps richly transforming my life, and it keeps me growing, uh, keeps me opening up to a deeper understanding of my relationship with my higher power and with other people. So I'm really grateful and very delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you, to bring wonderful guests to you, and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and your recovery walk. Know that during the second and third uh, portions of our program, you can call in at 888-558-6489, or you can email us anytime at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm if you have a comment or a question for our guests, and we'll be happy to address that. 
So today, our topic is Spiritual Recovery, a Turning Point for Families. And joining me is my very special guest, Ellie Hyatt. And Ellie is the Director of Family and Spiritual Recovery at The Retreat in Wyzetta, Minnesota. And before joining The Retreat staff, Ellie was an independent businesswoman, a social worker, and she worked with the state of Minnesota developing programs and writing legislation. Ellie is also a certified spiritual director, and she has been an active participant in 12-step recovery since 1993. And Ellie has significant experience organizing retreats and conferences. And Ellie works um, at the retreat, and she'll be telling us more about that uh, today, too, what the retreat is. And um, she works specifically with families who are looking for a spiritual way of life when they've got a loved one who has the disease of addiction. So, Ellie, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. We're really glad that you're with us here today. Thank you, Anna. I'm, I'm very excited to have this opportunity to share what we're doing here to help families um, find recovery for themselves. Great. And, you know, I, we know that addiction really can wreak havoc with families. Um, the trust and the security and the hope just fly out the window. And often the joys out the window first, it seems like. But families really can find a way out of that chaos if they are willing and able to work a program of their own to find some spiritual peace of mind and to find some tools to use. So... Um, Tell us a little bit about, I guess, first of all, maybe what, what the retreat is, and then we'll talk about how families fit into that overall program. Sure. The retreat is a residential, it's a 30-day residential program. We are located in Wyzetta, Minnesota, and we are what we would call a community education model. We really don't focus so much on the problem. People that would come to the retreat are people that know that they have a problem with drug or alcohol addiction. In other words, we're not doing any medical work or assessment. People that come here have to be detoxed, um, know that they've got the problem, and are motivated to work on the solution. Because it is a community model, we have very few staff, and the primary message in all of our programming is delivered by people in 12-step recovery. In a 30-day period, it's not unusual to have 300 different volunteers come through our organization. People that are presenting in a chapel session, people that are coming out and putting on an AA or an NA meeting, and um, people that come out every week actually to talk to the families. We have family day every Sunday, and part of what our residents, which we call guests, are asked to participate in, and their family members are... um, an Al-Anon meeting every Sunday, and that gives them an introduction to the idea of family recovery and gives them an introduction to the idea of Al-Anon. And then going on specifically to families, when you are a guest here in our 30-day program, because the retreat understands addiction is a family problem, the way we act on that understanding is when you are a guest, that includes somebody connected to you coming through our residential family program. And one of the things I know, having checked all over the country, is that it's unusual to have a residential family program. So I think we are particularly blessed that we have the opportunity for family members to come stay in our family retreat center and start to get, one, information about what it is that they're dealing with with addiction, and two, to start to understand what has happened to them. The thing that I know is true of families is that we are so focused on what's happening to the alcoholic and the addict because their their consequences are visible. Their pain and suffering is visible. What's invisible to us as family members is what has happened to us in the process. And so we welcome people to come here however they show up, whether they come to our program thinking that we have the answer to change somebody else, whether they come to the program because um, they think it will look good. You know, what I know about everybody that comes and finds their way into family recovery is they come because they love someone who's struggling with drug or alcohol addiction. So that's what gets them in the door. And and what's interesting to me um, and probably counterintuitive for a lot of us is that when they do research, now they haven't done research with family members per se, but they have done research to look at 
alcoholics and addicts. Um, and, and it was a judge, a local judge in Minnesota, who asked to have this research done because um, people probably know that oftentimes when somebody ends up in the court and they are offered the opportunity to either go into some place to deal with their addiction or to go to jail, you know, they're likely to say, I think I'll go deal with my addiction. And this judge said, you know, are we just throwing away the taxpayer's money to give people that that opportunity? In other words, he's saying, do people have to really be sincere about wanting to change for it to make a difference, or, you know, if, if they're just avoiding some consequence, what's the point? And the thing that was um, at least surprising to me is that the outcomes are the same. Whatever gets you in the door, whether you're here um, as an alcoholic or an addict because you know you need help or you're here to avoid some consequence, once you get into a program where there, you find there is a solution, the outcomes are the same. I believe that's true, at least my observation. I've got no research on this for the family members that participate in our program. But I am frequently told at the end of the program, somebody, a family member will come up and say, you know, I really didn't want to come. And that does not surprise me at all. I mean, really, who wants to come? But they find that there is hope for them, that that really the message of family recovery is your loved one does not have to change for you as a family member to have peace of mind, to be able to sleep at night, to get free from the fear that has been running our lives when we walk in the door looking for help. And and I know when people walk in the door and they hear our volunteers that are in um, recovery tell them that, it's just hard to, hard to conceive that that's possible. And yet the, the, the power, I think, of the way the message is delivered here with our families and the way it's delivered with all of our programs is that people in recovery are sitting down in the room with you and you can look at them and you can see that they have found a way to be comfortable. And it's not because life is following their script. It's not because nobody in the family has problems anymore. It might not. Might The person um, might still be using drugs or alcohol and yet you can see that this family member has found some way to find peace. And that can't be denied, and it's really attractive. And our family participants, when they're sitting in the room with people in recovery, they want to know, okay, tell me what to do. So it's a really powerful way. It's not a theoretical approach to recovery. It's a hands-on. You can see with your own eyes people have found something that you have been desperately seeking. And, you know, as a, on the family side of this, the way we think we're going to get peace of mind is if the alcoholic or the addict changes and stops using. Right. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... I'm, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm willing to take a breath there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, the, just, I, I love what you're saying because... You know, generally speaking, of course, in our culture, there's the idea that if something's wrong, you better fix it. And better yet, hopefully something's wrong with somebody else. Fix them, and it's all going to go away. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's the other thing that that the family participants tell me is, um, you know, the first night we, we ask them to look at, how they have how their life has been in, impacted by somebody's drug or alcohol use and there's a lot of common themes the, a lot of them are angry they're all scared there a lot of them are living with isolation because they they don't want the rest of the family to know how bad things are they don't want their friends to know how bad things are and so they come in um you know thinking that the other person needs to change, and then their life is going to be fine. And and they realize, as really probably by the second day of our program, that the that that's an illusion. That that they're going to be that their fear is going to go away if somebody else changes, or their anger is going to be resolved if somebody else changes. And they realize that the solution is for them to change. And and what we tell them right up front: long term recovery whether you're on the addicted side of the disease or the loved one side of the disease, 
long-term recovery requires change, period, on both sides of the disease. It's, it's not a matter of just putting the substance down. For me, for those of us as family members, it's not a matter just of the other person changing. It involves change on both sides of this disease. What's one thing, uh, and, and you have said that, that you are a family member in your own recovery process as mm-hmm. a family member. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what was one of the first changes that you made that made a difference in your life? And I know that was many years ago when you started your process. Well, I can tell you the first thing that happened to me when I walked into a meeting because I could see that there were people in the room who were doing things that I hadn't done for a long time, just simple things like smiling. That really gets your attention because when there's active addiction in your family, it's it's serious and it's intense and you're scared. And I could see people were smiling. I could see people were comfortable. And it immediately, although I couldn't have told you what happened to me, I had a sense of hope that there is a way out of this. And the other thing I can tell you for me personally, and I think that this is what I see happen to people here, is that I started to become teachable. The the retreat's approach to recovery is the spiritual solution, the spiritual transformation that is found in the 12-step process. That is what we offer as a program here. And so that power is working from the get-go when people walk in the door here. I mean, it's it's much bigger than any information that we're providing them. And that was true for the, me in that first meeting as well, that I could feel something that I couldn't name and what I could feel was hope. And then what happened is I started to follow direction. The spiritual life, for me at least, didn't make any sense with my intellect. And, and where I was going for answers was information in my intellect. And for me to get the benefit of these 12 steps and what we say to the people that, that show up here in our family program is there's sufficient power in this 12-step process to transform us, to change us. And what's necessary is for us to follow direction, do things, that we maybe don't understand how it's going to work. We don't understand why it's going to work. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we just start to move forward with faith, with trust. And that was one of the things you mentioned. You know, trust has flown out the window in our, in our personal relationships and probably even trust of ourselves that lots of family members are being told not to trust their own instincts and not to trust their own senses, that that when you're having a conversation with somebody that's under the influence, they're going to tell you, in all sincerity, they're not under the influence. You know, when you have evidence um, that, that, no, you are, and, and they keep saying, no, 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 you don't know what's going on. And so I think one of the, the things that happens really early on is that we start to restore trust that, hey, you know, I do know what's happening here. I don't have to have somebody else to agree with me to know, you know, my my experience is valid. And so we start to focus on my well-being comes, one, on me starting to be able to trust myself, and two, to trust that there's something more powerful than human power that's going to carry me through whatever life presents. Ellie, thank you so much. It's time for a short break. When we sure. come back... We'll um, start with the Serenity Minute, which is a brief moment to focus on a constructive idea. And then my guests, Ellie Hyatt and I, are going to continue talking about spiritual recovery, a turning point for families. We'll be right back. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you'll give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the love offerings of listeners to continue operating and expand its outreach. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you. you ask with childlike wonder, what is the nature of God? 
Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? How do we know what we know? When you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical, intangible aspects of life, you are, on some level, a student of metaphysics. New from Unity House and nearly five years in the making, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, a deeper look at Unity teachings, is now available. This is Paul Hasselbeck, author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart-Centered Metaphysics speaks to truth-seekers like you, providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on Shop. Do you think you know all you want to know about characters in the Bible? Do you know who could be called the king who loved too much? Or what it means to be a Jezebel? Or that the best love story in the Bible begins with the declared commitment of two women? The Bible's symbolic meaning can help you transform your life and discover the presence and power of God within you. Find out what these characters can teach you about your own life today by tuning into Biblical Power for Your Life. Each week, co-hosts Reverends Karen Tudor and E.J. Niles present a Bible character from an historical, cultural, psychological, and symbolic perspective. Your comments and questions are part of the lively discussion. Tune in every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and power up your life. Only at Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're really glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Spiritual Recovery, a Turning Point for Families. And my guest is Ellie Hyatt. Ellie is the Director of Family and Spiritual Recovery at The Retreat, which is a community-based recovery center in Wyzetta, Minnesota. And Ellie is a certified spiritual director, and she also is an active participant in 12-step recovery as a family member since 1993. And Ellie's sharing with us today how it is that families can Uh, get their own spiritual recovery and how that can make such a difference in their lives, whether or not their loved one who has the substance end of this addiction disease is in recovery or not. But before Ellie and I start talking again, I invite you to join me for a moment in focusing on a constructive idea for our Serenity Minute. I invite you to let your mind rest, to be open, and to be refreshed. And our idea for today is this. Today I let go of worry. I place those people I love in the care of the higher power. I know that all is well. Today I let go of worry. I place those I love in the care of the higher power. I know that all is well. Thank you for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I trust that you did feel that presence of your higher power and found a moment of peace, a moment of relaxation and openness. And now we're back with my guest, Ellie Hyatt. We're talking about spiritual recovery, a turning point for families. This is a great time to give us a call or send us an email. Ellie would just be delighted to take your comment or your question. You can call us at 888-558-6489, and that uh, number is also on your computer screen. Or you can email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. And we do get those emails during the program. So again, we'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, Meanwhile, Ellie, uh, thanks for what you're sharing with us. You've been telling us a a lot of great stuff about family recovery, about 
um, how families are affected by the disease of addiction in their loved ones and how they can make some turning points. You were telling us about how in your own experience as a recovering family member that something early on that was helpful for you was to be willing um, to be teachable and to take <laughs> direction. <laughs> and so and so I'm gonna I don't know if this is fair or not, but if you'd be willing, what was one of the first uh, directions that you took that you thought, I don't know, but you did it anyway because you were willing to trust and it turned out good for you. <laughs> okay. The first thing I can think of is they told me to get a sponsor, and I did, and that was the last thing I wanted to do. The, What's a sponsor? The, Tell us what a sponsor is. A sponsor is someone who's in recovery, whatever recovery fellowship you're in. It's somebody who has experience working the 12 steps of recovery, and um, the way they tell you to get a sponsor, if you will, is to look for someone who has what you want. Look for someone who appears to have contentment would be what I was looking for. So a sponsor is, is um, someone that you work with on your recovery journey. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. I'm, I'm remembering what I heard. The only thing I remember hearing in my first recovery meeting was we're only as sick as the secrets we keep. And I realized as a family member, I had a lot of secrets. There were a lot of things I didn't want people to know. So to get a sponsor implies that I'm going to trust somebody else to to let them know me and to let them know my secrets because the only way that working effectively with a sponsor is going to happen is to let them know who I am and, and kind of what I'm thinking. So that was that was the first thing that was really not what I wanted when I when I showed up I just wanted somebody to tell me what to do um and then I would go home and do it. I I didn't want to have to get involved in trusting other people. So I don't think that that's that unusual that we often family members um and this is what I find when they when they show up here for a family program is is we're usually the people that we think are holding things together. We're usually very self-reliant. We're very determined. And it's like, you know, just tell me what to do. Um, my sponsor early on kept telling me I was not going to graduate. You know, we have this model in our culture that, you know, you go to school for 12 years and then you graduate or you then you go on a little bit more and then you graduate. So I showed up for 12-step recovery thinking, okay, they're going to tell me what to do. I'll go do it, and then I'll graduate. You know, why would I need? Why would I need to trust another person? Why would I need somebody? Just give me the directions. But that's that was the turning point for me. Is that I stopped looking to my intellect and information as the source of change. That that there is something that doesn't happen through the intellect. That that. There is a source, a change agent, if you will, that's not information. And in 12-step recovery, and what we're doing here at the retreat is we are focused on the spiritual solution. And that's, that's what the 12-step model is. It's a process of transformation. It's 12 spiritual exercises that has sufficient power to change us, whatever the change is that needs to happen. And... When I showed up, I was somebody who was not looking for a spiritual solution, and I don't know, I can't give you a percentage, but I know every single family program, family members are showing up, and when we tell them the retreat's approach to recovery is a spiritual solution in the 12 steps, you can see people are starting to think, well, now what am I supposed to do? And the fabulous thing about the 12-step model is that all it asks us to consider to embark on this journey is that we're willing to consider the possibility that there's something more powerful than human power. That's it. You know, and a lot of people who show up here in our family program are very successful people in in the world. You know that they've accomplished things. They have evidence that they're competent, capable, intelligent people. And so when you say to them, you know, we admitted we were powerless, it's like, how can that be? Look at, look at my list of accomplishments. And all we're, all we're asking them to consider is there's a limit to human power. Not that they're not competent, intelligent, capable people, but that there's a limit to human power. And that's, that's where the journey begins. And so 
one of the things that we do here with our family program that I know doesn't happen a lot of places is that we have not only Al-Anon, but we have AA volunteers meet with them. And, and the first thing we do is we give them the, the textbook on the disease of alcoholism, and that's the book Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of the chapters that, that we send them to, those that came in the door who, was, who were really not thinking that they were open to the idea of something bigger than human power, is we send them to the chapter in that book called We Agnostics. And that gives a really wide door to walk through to enter into this process. Again, you just need to be willing to consider there's something more powerful than human power. And so, like I said, we start the families by looking the first night. They start to look at what's happening to them. You know, are they angry? Are they scared? Are they making excuses? Are they isolating? Are they embarrassed? Are they hurt? And then we take them right into... What is this disease that they're dealing with? What, what is addiction? And we have an AA member come and read the, the doctor's opinion. The, the very beginning of the textbook on the disease has a chapter written by a medical doctor that explains alcoholism is a physical allergy and a mental obsession, that it's a disease of mind, body, and spirit, and the solution is a spiritual solution. It's, it's not enough to know, okay, I've got a physical allergy to, to ethyl alcohol. I mean, ethyl alcohol is a non-addictive substance to the majority of the population. I, I think the estimate is about 10% of the population has this physical allergy, this abnormal response to a, a, what, for the rest of us, is a non-addictive substance. And so then families think when they get here, okay, so then... Now that they know they've got this allergy and, and what happens when they put alcohol in their body is they get the phenomena of craving. And, and what that is is the body just says more. You know, that, that's not a normal response. A family member, when they put ethyl alcohol in their body, they, they would have a normal response, which would be, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a depressant, you know, and you would start to get tired and you might start to feel like you're losing control, and a lot of us don't like that feeling. But when an alcoholic puts alcohol in their system, they get this phenomena of craving. And the phenomena says, and a phenomena is something that can be observed but not explained. Um, and although brain science is now starting to give you some understanding of what's actually happening, so that you know, so the family member says, "Okay, well now my my loved one knows that they've got this allergy. So then why?" Would they ever put it in their body again? And the, the book Alcoholics Anonymous gives us the answer, and it says because the primary problem for the alcoholic or the addict rests in their mind. And what we suggest, in other words, their thinking. And it's the mental obsession. And family members are often can relate to that idea of mental obsession because the alcoholic or the addict becomes our obsession. We're always thinking about them what are they doing? Where are they? When are they going to be home? What can I say the next time they, they start to use? We are obsessed with changing them. And so what I suggest to family members is when they look at that book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and we give it to them, one, because it gives them information about the disease, but two, because that's where the original, clear, precise set of directions are for practicing this 12-step this way of life. And as a family member, when you look at that book and you see the word drinking, if you just substitute thinking, the book starts to apply to, uh, to a family member directly. It's really easy to figure out then, oh, I have a thinking problem. And the other thing that happens with our program in particular is that residents of our 30-day program are invited to move down to the family center these are residents that are not related to anybody going through the program, that particular program. And they sit with each other and they start to understand that whatever door we came through, whether it was the door of addiction for drug or alcohol abuse or whether it's the family side of this disease, that once we get in the door, we've all got the same problem. And the, same, and the problem is we're scared. We don't have sufficient power. The problem is we lack power to change ourselves and to change the other person. And once they understand that, it opens up the possibility of actually 
communicating with each other and not taking somebody else's use personally and for the for the alcoholic or the addict to not take the family members um, interference personally you know that they can they can it levels the field we get to understand we're all scared and we're all seeking this a solution to our fear and what we have in common at least those of us that are pursuing this 12-step way of life is the solution is spiritual and so we start to move the families into okay now I understand what's happened to me I understand that I'm dealing with something that I didn't cause. Really important for family members to know. Um, spouses are often told by their loved one, by their by their husband or wife, that you know if they were different, then then they wouldn't need to drink or use. And so, it's really a critical piece of this whole thing to free us um, as family members is to understand. I don't have sufficient power to cause alcoholism in another person. I mean, you've either got that physiology or you don't. Bad parenting doesn't cause it and good parenting doesn't prevent it. Um, Being a model wife or husband doesn't prevent it and being a bad husband or wife doesn't cause it. And that's, um, if, if family members can really take that information into their heart, it really frees them up from a lot of guilt and shame that they arrive with. And then they, the thing that's maybe not as um, comforting but as important to understand on the, about this disease is that we can't control another person's use. And what I say to the families when they show up here, if you still have an idea that you haven't tried, you're going to have to have your own experience to reach that conclusion. You can't reach that conclusion because I've reached it as, as the director of the program. You can't reach that conclusion because the volunteers here are telling you they've reached that conclusion. Everybody seems to insist on their own experience. And our experience will get us to that conclusion sooner or later. I'm, I might get compliance for a period of time, you know, and I might think, okay, I've finally figured out now how to help them stop using. And sooner or later, if the person who's got the drug or alcohol addiction is not done, um, they will go back. And so the message that, that allows us as family members to start to focus on ourselves is to really truly get in our heart, did not cause it, cannot control it, cannot cure it. The book Alcoholics Anonymous is the alcoholic is beyond human aid. That would mean the family member can't cure them, the sponsor can't cure them, the retreat staff can't cure them, the best psychologist in the world can't cure them. Carl Carl Jung is part of the formation of the the 12-step model. Um, Beyond human aid eliminates all of us. And once we can accept that, and have enough of our own experience to know that that's true, then we're free to look at, okay, what, what can I do for me? And the interesting thing is the most powerful thing you can do to help someone else as a family member is get well yourself. And again, there I come back to something else that I think is counterintuitive, but research supports that. The only thing that makes a difference for long-term recovery and, and long-term recovery is, one, that the person who's using the drugs or alcohol abstains. That's kind of obvious. The other thing that's not so obvious that, is that they change. The only other variable that supports long-term recovery is the family member gets involved in recovery themselves. And, and I think one of the primary reasons that's true is we stop interfering with the consequences, the natural consequences of the person who's using the drugs or alcohol. I mean, until they have sufficient motivation to change, why would they change? So if somebody keeps rushing in and rescuing them, um, the person who's using the drugs or alcohol will continue to use. The other thing is I, I know that the person who is using at some level understands that they are hurting the people around them. Even, even if they're not saying it out loud, at some intuitive level, if you will, they understand. And so they're walking around with a lot of guilt and shame. I mean, who, who would ever decide, you know, when I grow up, I want to be an alcoholic or an addict, and I want to hurt everybody that cares about me, and I want to destroy my career, and I want to destroy my health. And so family members getting well has a huge impact on the well-being of the person who's struggling with their own addiction. 
Ellie, thanks so much. Yes, it does make a lot of sense. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back, and we want to hear some more about this. Thank you for all that you're sharing with us. Thanks for our listeners. We'll be right back. Anytime a situation seems confusing or hopeless, most likely I am viewing it from a perspective of human limitation. Instead, I have the innate power to see any circumstance from a spiritual perspective by turning to God in prayer. If I am seeing only problems and not solutions, illness and not wholeness, lack and not abundance, I sit quietly in the silence and reestablish my oneness with God, affirming wisdom, wholeness, and abundance. I begin to see things differently, at one with infinite possibility. I scale the heights of human awareness and view the world as from above, expressing oneness with God in all that I think, say, and do. I allow my spirit to soar. This inspirational message is brought to you by Daily Word. Daily Word. Inspiration and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Give Daily Word to yourself or friend and give the gift of hope, joy, peace, and encouragement. Order your subscriptions today online at dailyword.com. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach for weekly inspiration on ways to identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, where your purpose is your prosperity. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Spiritual Recovery, a Turning Point for Families. And my guest is Ellie Hyatt. She's the Director of Family and Spiritual Recovery at The Retreat, which is a community-based recovery program in YZ, Minnesota. And Ellie is also a Certified Spiritual Director and an active participant in a 12-step program as a recovering family member since 1993. And Ellie's sharing with us wonderful information about family recovery. You know, a lot of times I think people maybe don't even know family recovery is a possibility, um, but it certainly is. And, and you're really sharing with us how important it is for families to begin to put the focus on themselves rather than on the loved one who's got the substance part of the disease. Um, so I know when we were right before the break there, you were sort of in that sense of talking about how that may be counterintuitive for families to put the focus on themselves. But what happens when families do start doing that and taking care of themselves? Well, a couple of things. Um, you just triggered some memories in, in me that I, for many years I was a social worker, and, and I now know that a lot of what I was dealing with was families that had drug and alcohol addiction, but it was invisible to me. It's, it's just not something that is even looked for by the helping professions most of the time. And I know that when um, I had a husband who was dealing with an addiction, he went and got an assessment and nobody ever talked to me. And so as a professional and then as a family member, it was never suggested that there was a place for me to go to get support, to get some information, to get some help. 
and um, and I, I think it's invisible in our culture by and large beyond the fact that family members can see so clearly that the alcoholic or the addict needs help because they are acting out in more visible ways. It's, it's just a secret almost that there is a place for us as family members to go. And, you know, one of the things that um, was a, a big part in how this program got developed, how our family program got developed, the piece where we bring somebody who's a current guest at the retreat dealing with their own drug or alcohol addiction and, and putting them together with the family members, um, not non-related family members, is, is a story I can share from one of my own friends who was in a program as a family member years ago, and that program also was the same model where they had the alcoholic or the addict um, sitting with the families. And she was in a session one day, and they were talking about um, something related to recovery. And she remembered she w- one of the people in her group was a guy who said some things that really impressed her. And then she later on found out that guy was an alcoholic, and, you know, he was there dealing with his alcoholism. And she realized, you know, I related to him as a human being, not as an alcoholic, maybe that would be helpful in my own relationship with my own husband instead of just relating to him as this guy who's got a problem, if I could relate to him as another human being. And so her story helped me understand the importance of finding a way to see behind the walls of each other's um, fear. You know, that for us as family members to sit with somebody we have no emotional history with, and to hear what it was like for them to struggle. Um, and and a, a guest today just told me a story that he, he was in the family program. It was a young guy who was in the family program, and he shared what it was like when, his, when he was living at home and he was dealing with his alcoholism. He was not drinking, and his parents all day long were asking him questions like, you know, are you going to your meeting tonight? Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should try that. Maybe you should talk to this person. Maybe you should talk to that person. And he was able to share in the safe environment of our family program how that felt to him. And the other parents got it. It's like, oh, my God, you know, I thought I was helping. And really what I'm doing is I'm just putting more pressure on this person who's already struggling. And so it's such a unique opportunity to see into each other's worlds. And even when we go hear somebody tell their story, it's different than living with each other. So when they're, when they're in a residential program together day and night, I think a lot of the really important healing happens not when the staff is there or not even when the volunteers are there, but when the, the family members have time to ask their questions, their, the things that they've been afraid to ask. Um, communication gets really difficult in our relationships when there's addiction. One, because we stop believing what we're being told. Two, we're walking on eggshells because we think, as a family member, if I ask the wrong thing or say the wrong thing, then they're going to go out and use because we don't understand. We don't have that power to make them go out and use. And so it's an incredible opportunity to, to be in a safe environment to talk to each other about what's really going on and to share, you know, on, on the alcoholic addict side of this, what are the things that, my, that I want my family members to know? And on the other side, the family members are getting educated. What are the things that I can do? I've, all the things I've been doing, I've been doing because I love this person and I had no idea I was really getting in the way. So right. that's... that's that's the gift of bringing the alcoholic addict and family member together that are not related so they can hear each other. They can really hear each other. And the other, the other thing that's the foundation of our model is the volunteer model. And what volunteers are doing when they come in and share in our family program, and I, I know this is true also in the 30-day program, is that they come in and they share their recovery story. The thing that I love about this model is that the recovery community in Minneapolis and St. Paul, why that is located right outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota, we have the community here that when you call somebody and you ask them to come and volunteer in the family program, without fail, the very first thing they say to you is thank you for thinking of me. 
And I don't know if you or our listeners have ever had to work, um, had the opportunity to work with volunteers, but it's such an incredible response because they get it's a privilege to come and share their journey. They understand. I mean, here's another spiritual paradox for you. If you want to keep this gift of recovery, you have to give it away. I mean, now, what sense does that make it to our intellect? But this, people here in recovery are so committed to keeping their recovery alive that they know it requires sharing it with other people. So at the end of the program, we, we ask the participants that have gone through the program, you know, what are, what are, if you've decided to pursue this way of life, what are, what are the spiritual tools that, that you've been exposed to here? They hardly ever think of service as one of the spiritual tools. I think part of why that's true for us as family members, and this was certainly true for me, it's like, well, all I've ever done is take care of people. What do you mean I have to be of service? But what I didn't understand is what I was doing as a family member taking care of people is I was trying to get something. I was trying to get approval. I was trying to get love. I was trying to get them to change. And when you're in 12-step recovery, the phrase they use is we're giving, we're sharing for fun and for free. We're not trying to get something. We have been given so much, we want to give it away. And so the volunteer model is alive and well because this recovery community is looking for opportunities to share, to give away what they've been given. And the other things that we do in the program that we consider part of the spiritual toolkit, we say meditation is absolutely essential for this transformation or this change, that it's not going to just come from gathering information. It's going to come by spending time seeking to form a relationship with this power whatever you want to call that power, it's necessary, it's essential to spend time seeking a relationship with that power. So meditation is introduced as part of our residential program, as part of our family day, family program. Meditation, prayer, talking to the power, listening to the power, just really simple things. If you want to have a relationship it requires, you know, just like any relationship, it requires talking and it requires listening. So we spend time doing that. We talk about service and then we also spend time every night that family members are here going through the inventory process. And an inventory process has different names um, in different places, but basically it's the end of the day where you spend time thinking about what happened today. Was there any anger? Was there any fear? Was there any resentment? It's not only those things. It's also what, what do I have today to be grateful for? And so we, we don't go to bed and, and carry forward into tomorrow today's business. We, we find a process to deal with today's work today. So we teach them that process. So they, they leave here with concrete, specific practices to begin that transformation. Right. Do you have a story about uh, a spiritual awakening that you've seen happen for somebody at the program? Many stories. Um, and one, of the, one of the things we ask them during the program is, do you have any evidence of that power working in your life? Because a lot of us um, just haven't noticed, you know, that there's been things happening all around us, but we just haven't noticed that that power's been at work in our life. And so, actually, a lot of the family members say the fact that they ended up here at this program is evidence that that power is working in their life. All of a sudden, they get it, um, that a lot of them didn't really intend to come, um, have had a lot of excuses or reasons not to come, and then somehow circumstances just worked out that they ended up coming. And so, for them... That's one of the one of the things they see as evidence that this that this power is at work in their life, and and really all they need to do is to look for it. I mean, there's a lot of specific stories, but that's the one that I see over and over is they realize something was at work that got them to this place and gave them a way out, gave them a way out of the fear, gave them a way out of the the anxiety, um, and offered them, offered them hope, offered offer them a process of change. I mean, you know, other specific stories, 
Um, I'm not. I don't have any that are coming to mind at the moment. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, thanks for sharing that. I know uh, family members actually have a have a primary recovery path, and and it, just as you were saying, family members can find relief no matter what uh, the person that has the substance part of this disease is doing. And that's the message that I think is so important and that a lot of time blows by people, that, but that families have a primary recovery path. Absolutely. And, and we can't even imagine how we could find any peace if that person continues to use. And again, that's the power of somebody sitting down telling you, um, you know, we have volunteers who've had family members die of an overdose. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's everybody's worst fear. This person is going to die. Mm-hmm. And you can't imagine how you could have a useful, peaceful life. It's not that it's pain-free, but you can have a useful, peaceful life independent of what the person with the drug or alcohol addiction does. And the only way you can really come to believe that is to see evidence, and the evidence is the volunteers that show up and tell you their story. Ellie, thank you so much. Our time's up. You've just blessed us. I appreciate your your honesty and all that you've shared with us. I know our listeners have, have been touched and have gotten so much. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for the opportunity. It was my privilege. You're welcome. Next week, our guest is Lynn Moore. She is a an equine-assisted therapist, and she is an addiction counselor, and she's going to talk to us about the wisdom of the horse and how equine-assisted therapy can help people recover from addiction. God bless. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central Time on Living A Course in Miracles, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today, and after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment from Rev. Joan Cattuso and Unity Magazine is brought to you by Unity. like there's a lot of uncertainty out there about the economy these days. A lot of people have lost their jobs and some have even lost their homes. So how do you stay positive with so many negative facts coming at you every day? That's what the program The Prosperous Life is all about. It inspires, uplifts, and reminds you of the truth that we live in an abundant universe supplied by an infinite giver. Hosted by Chris Michaels and Stephanie Pfeiffer Stone, this program takes the spiritual approach to creating and maintaining your faith in abundant living. 
Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time to learn how to live the prosperous life on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm loving my life. You better believe it. That's good all around. And I receive it. All I desire. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw. And on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts. 